Get fucking booster, everybody. I got a booster and I'm fine. My wife didn't get a booster. Guess what? Sick as a goddamn dog. So get a booster, everyone. I don't know what you're waiting for. Hey, Michigan, I see you out there. Get boosted. Idaho, get your ass boosted. Florida, whatever. But Texas, get boosted. God damn it. California, get out of Dodger Stadium. Get boosted. All the other states also get boosted. Listen, one of the best things about getting a booster shot is that you can say I'm boosted. And now on with the show. I only came in in half of whatever that song was. Oh, I've been doing that for 30 minutes. Oh, cool. Excellent. Just waiting for you to show up. Yep. That's what I do. Thank God. You can take a nap. Because I've been working double time on something for us. Would you like to know what it is? Yeah, I was drinking water, but I do want to know what it is. Sorry. <laughs> okay, it's a replacement for you. I got you, oh, you son of a bitch. Damn it, I deserve that. <laughs> well, I, we may have a merch store coming soon. <gasps> yeah. I've been doing a lot of research. There's stuff like I, I we made a red bubble, but I don't like red bubble because you can't This is a very personal issue with them that I have. But I like hoodies. That have a thing on the front and a thing on the back. And you can only do a thing on the front? You can only do a thing on the front. And even with the zip-up ones, it cuts through the logo. So if you want to wear it open, it doesn't, you know? Yeah. You could put like a little patch, like a little little logo on the side. But, but if you want like a big logo that everyone can see, you can't just put it on the back. It has to be cut through by the zipper. You know what I think? What do you think? Completely different. Nothing on the front, nothing on the back. Just down the sleeves. Media lunch break. Well, guess what? Guess what? I found a place that lets you do that. Really? Yes. So (gasps) I finally found a place that I think I just found it today. Mm -hmm. But by the time this goes live, we may have it. So check our Twitter. But I, yeah, there's there's one that is like it was super weird. There's like uh, it like it shows you the like the dye line, I think is what it's called, like the template that they send to the factory for the shirt. Ooh. And you can put the it's like opened like it's not a picture of a shirt. Right. It's like a shirt that hasn't been sewn together yet. It's just right. fabric. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you can put whatever you want anywhere on the fabric. <laughs> it's just reams of fabric. That's right. That's how far it's in actually, the process it's, you're it's involved. It's my basement. It's not online. Yeah. I'm just I have all this fabric and it I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to paint right. they our just logo. Show you whole cotton fields and they're like, this is your sweatshirt. <laughs> and you're right. like, wow, we are in involved from moment one i like this anyway that'll be two hundred dollars <laughs> sarah would you buy a media lunch break sweatshirt yes i would would i wear it no but would i buy it i would wow okay you know what actually i don't care if you wear it as long as you buy it yeah. Pay ask up. her if For there's sure. anything media lunch break related she would like what kind of media lunch break you would buy a media lunch break hat and bra. Is that what you're, is that what this is? And this is. Put my hat and my scarf in the closet. Oh, so you need to get behind here. Yes. All right. Good luck. That was so mean. I would not buy a media lunch break bra though. So why not? Sorry, I wouldn't do it. The little logos just right, just right in the center. No, those are booby tassels, babe. <laughs> I wouldn't buy those either. Can you please? Well, then what have I been wearing? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, everybody. Welcome to the 
media electric where you all of your comic geek and movie news all in the time it takes to eat a good sandwich and apply the proper amount of spirit gum. My name is Chris Trebel. Alongside me, as always, is my co-host, Andrew Dunn. Say hello, Andrew. I'm already nervous about having to edit this together. I mean, listen, I, I couldn't. Isn't Spe- that's no. what that's what you use on them no. on bras? That's, that's what I use on them. <laughs> that's why I've never been able to take them off of someone. I know you needed to get in that closet, but listen, when the moment strikes for a good intro, you gotta take it. If I've learned anything in the last five to forty years, however the fuck long we've been doing this thing, you gotta take it, right, Andrew? Andrew's gonna back me up. Go ahead, back me up, Andrew. That's right. I'm gonna I'm gonna back it up and say you gotta take it. That's right. Wait. Yep. <laughs> Wait, what were you asking? I'm going to go ahead and do the episode now. Is that okay? Does she want to say hi to America? Oh, do you want to say hi to America? Hello, America. <laughs> I stop. I, you know what? Actually, now that you do it willingly, I don't kind of like it. I don't I don't like it anymore. By the it way, she's feels... the person I'm talking to to replace you. Oh, she'd be a good choice. Yes. You're going to replace me as co-host. I would be a good choice. <laughs> <laughs> I like that she cracks herself up. I'm not as funny as you, though. I think she is. I think that was pretty funny. He thinks you're funnier than I am. I think that was a really funny joke. Funnier looking. <laughs> I love you with all my heart. This is the worst episode ever. Agreed. It's six minutes long, so we should end it now. <laughs> I go out on top. Do a do-over. I will do nothing over. Andrew, it's... Everybody listens to us when we talk about a movie that everyone else has already seen week here on the Media Lunch Break. Chris, I feel like we're a little bit smarter than we were. We're a little bit more fulfilled people. We're we're closer to enlightenment than we were a week ago. I feel that way as well, actually. Because we filled in some gaps. In That's our, right. We became closer to becoming our more complete selves. That's right. We became better fathers. Well. No, yeah, no, probably not. No. I mean, why why mess with perfection? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, I do. Oprah calls this all empowerment. Anyway, so a couple of weeks ago, what was it, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, we made some dirty, dirty confessions on things that we had not actually seen, which really were things that we should have seen by now as men in our... What I'm going to assume for me is my late for- 30s and what I'm going to assume for 40s? you. Is, I did. I did say that. And what I'm going to assume for you is your late 50s. I'm still going on puberty. <laughs> oh my God. Oh man. That beard is something else then. And so we, we uh, you gave me a movie and I gave you a movie to off of some of the stuff that we talked about a couple of weeks ago to watch. And each of us took a turn watching him, watching that watching them. I'm not sure what's happening. I'm having a breakdown right yeah. now. Anyway, it's going to be one of those episodes. It's going to be one of those episodes where I'm going to listen back and be like, you can get through one sentence <laughs> maybe without stuttering or saying the wrong word or sounding like a stroke victim of some kind. Maybe that's debatable. That's what I'm saying. I'm not sure if I can do it anyway. All right. Please save me. We watched one of those movies. We decided to actually ironically to spare some of the bigger ones that were more amazing that one of us hadn't seen. I would have been willing to do that. You wanted to do it. You tried to convince me to watch Batman versus Superman, a Saiyan duel. No. I, oh, no. I was talking about for me. Oh. I would have been willing to watch The Lord well, of the Rings. Well, I asked you if you, but it has to be a marathon of the extended version. And you were like, no, I can't do that. Oh, yeah. I did say that. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you can't. You don't have 12 hours straight in the day for some stupid reason. I know. It's ridiculous. 
I regret saying Redick. I'm sorry. I, I don't know why I did that. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was legit. Anyway, so I gave you Young Frankenstein, and you assigned for me. And it's sort of a two assignment, two reading assignment. Yeah, it week. is. It kind of is. Uh, yeah. And you assigned for me Inglorious Bastards, the Tarantino yes. film. Yes. Would you like to, to? Which one would you like to talk about first? Uh. Oh, wait a second. This is a setup. I know what this is. I know what this is. This is you setting me up for my own bit. <laughs> I'm not going to walk into your little bear trap. I want to talk about young Frankenstein. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> wow, you really had the opportunity there, though. You really did. And you know what? You took the high road. And I, and I both appreciate that and am horribly disappointed in you at the same time. Here's the trick. Yes. I just didn't want to go first. So whatever it was, it was going to be Young Frankenstein, no matter what you said. Oh, okay. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So let's talk about Young. So you had me watch Young Frankenstein. Uh, for, oh, man. It's pronounced Frankenstein. I will say for the whole, almost the whole movie, because I knew about that bit. I've seen bits of Young Frankenstein. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I just never sat down and watched it straight through hour 45 shot i think i've seen maybe definitely not an hour 45 by the way it's like an hour and 10 or something no it is because i watched the counter i remember it's an hour 45 well it might be that is not true it is hang on how long is young frankenstein because i was shocked at how short it was i'll tell you what it's gonna come up with some great mailbooks like joke where it says nine inches it should but it doesn't it should what's it say i'm not gonna tell you because you're right (laughs) i think of this of the full movie, I've probably I had probably seen from like seeing it on on cable or something like that, and I would start it, and then I would get distracted or turn it off or yeah, something yeah. like that, or just bits I've like the classic bits, the putting on the ritz, that type of thing. So now I've watched it all the way through. I'm very aware that throughout this episode, especially on my segment, it's just going to be me talking about a classic movie, and people are going to go like, "Yeah, I know, it's fucking amazing." <laughs> But it's great. I mean, obviously, it's great. It's one of Mel Brooks' best movies. He said it's probably his best movie. Both Mel Brooks and Gene Wilder have said it is the best film that either of them has ever made. Mel Brooks, however, has said that it's the third funniest movie he's ever made. Yes, he did say it's not his funniest, but it's but he thinks his it's his best, best uh, directed. Yeah, like it's him at his- and his best film. Like when you're talking about the quality of a film, you're not just talking about how funny it is. Right. Exactly. And I have to agree. I mean, there. Listen, there are still gaps in my Mel Brooks watching that I that I need to rectify. I've seen producers. I've seen this now. I've seen History of the World. I've seen Spaceballs. I've seen Men in Tights. Silent movie. I haven't seen Silent. Movie. I've seen Blazing Saddles. So maybe I'm pretty good now. But out of those, this is, I have to agree, this is probably his most well-directed movie, simply because it's an amazing feat to have Mel Brooks take his very specific type of humor, but then also overlay it with a very specific satire. Like, it's directed in a genuine sense. One of the reasons that Mel Brooks is, this is the one he's not in himself is because Gene Wilder, who wrote the story with Mel Brooks and wrote the script with Mel Brooks, said, you cannot be in it. But he is in it. There's a, he has voices in it. Yeah, yeah. He's like three different voices. That was the right. the, the, nego- the compromise. He, but he couldn't be on camera, right. is what I'm saying. And they're like all animals, I think. Oh, no, he's the voice of actual Frankenstein 
like his grandfather or whatever. And oh, he's, is that him? I was wondering yeah, who that yeah, is. Yeah. And okay. he's the cat that screams. And I think the the wolf that's howling. I think those are the three things. Right. But he he's it's the one movie of his that he does not make an actual cameo in. Right. Because Gene Wilder said, if you do every time you do, you're a wink at the camera. Right. Like he's like, it's nothing against you. You just wink at the camera. You, you just showing up on screen as a wink at the camera. And kudos to Gene Wilder for wanting to try something different. And kudos to Mel Brooks. Going, yeah, you know what? You're right. So I'm going to not do that. But because of that, what you get is a very genuinely shot movie. Like if this did not if this was a different script and shot and shot the way that it's shot now, it would be a real Frankenstein movie. Do you know what I mean? Like the the style, the way he moves the camera through. I had the same thought as well that um, the script is almost just a Frankenstein film. It is with some slight gags put in. In the middle of it, occasionally, but very. Right. There, it, I, I was watching. I watched it again to prepare for this, and I there are almost no lines that, if delivered differently, couldn't be dramatic. Yeah, I can see what you're saying. There are very few. I actually agree with you. That I feel like is this. You could feel the hand of Gene Wilder in this. There is something. The bits themselves are very Mel Brooks, but the dialogue is very Gene Wilder or what you assume that Gene Wilder is like. It's a little more heightened. It's a little more poetic. It's a little more, you know, smooth and refined. Right. You can feel his influence in that. It's almost a love letter to Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. To the original and to the Universal movie, to the original movie as yes. well, which is the I mean the sets are the original sets right. or the I should say the the laboratory. Yeah, yeah. The sets are the original sets from the from the first Frankenstein. Evidently the set builder didn't get credit for those as well. That that was part of the deal was Mel Brooks went to that guy. He found he was like, "Well, let's just see if that guy knows where any of it is, any any of the set is." And he was like, he was like, I have them in my garage. And uh, if you guys want, they they worked out like a financial deal. But also part of it was that he would get the full credit for doing the set, which he never got. Oh, really? He got there is a credit of like a thanks. I Because I, I, I noticed it. Uh, it was a it was like a, it was a weird credit. It wasn't like set by. It was thanks to so and so for. Frankenstein laboratory set or Frankenstein laboratory set provided by so-and-so it was some it was like not a set building credit it was very much like a thing that probably that normally would see at the end of the movie right but I remember because I was like oh that's interesting I almost bumped on it. it was like oh that's weird but I mean you have the classic bits I had this thought it's an old song from when I I said when we were in high school, when I was in high school, <laughs> actually, no, I think this was in the time then you would have been in the high school. I was going to say, I think there the was a time. year that we were both in high school at the same time. Yes, this might have been that. But there's a there's a song called Politically Incorrect. And the uh, one of the lines is you couldn't make a Mel Brooks movie today. And I had that thought while watching this because it's a brilliant movie. The gags are pitch perfect. They're hilarious. There's a lot of dick jokes in it. And it's a lot of jokes about a guy with a big penis having sex with women and the women wanting to have sex with a man with a big penis. And I was like, this is one of those things that and you and I have talked about this off mic where it's like 
can anything be funny? Like, can you make a, a joke about absolutely anything? And you and I, I think, kind of agree on like in the right context, in the right way. Yeah. Yes, you can. No topic is off limits. The way you handle the joke. And for me, it's as long as you always punch up, not down. Yeah, exactly. But this is one of those movies I watch and I'm like, if someone tried to make this movie today, people would get really pissed about it. Or they would say this is trash and it's not you know what I mean like they would they would think it's kind of lesser or taking the cheap shots I don't know I think I disagree with you I really yeah I mean I my initial thought when you just brought that up is maybe people would think it's it's almost a nothing film right right now because like it's not that offensive like no one says there's no horrible words in it no they dance around a lot of stuff it's very tongue-in-cheek, right? and uh, if anything, I think people would think it's kind of a nothing movie because we've come so far since Mel Brooks was in his heyday. Right. But if Mel Brooks never existed and then this movie came out, I think it would do pretty well. See, I think it would do well because I think the jokes themselves are crafted very well. And, uh, you know, it's a very clean delivery. You know, set up punchline. Yeah, that type yeah, of thing. Yeah. And there are enough gags in it that are not like talking about a guy's giant dick to, <laughs> to you know, fill it out and everything. Yeah. But I feel like there would be certain groups that would be like that, that would bump on, you know, he'd have a giant. I forget what the German word that they use. Yes, there it is. Um, like a joke like that. I think people would bump on. And uh. I'm like, but that would also be one of those jokes where I'm like, oh, God, really? Like I watching this was never like, oh, this doesn't age well or anything like that. I just think that if someone were to try and make it today. Well, that's what I always say, too, because people always bring up Blazing Saddles and how you couldn't do it today because everyone's uh, cancel culture. And I think the exact opposite, like people say you couldn't do it because of the left. And I think the left loves that movie. And like it's about people trying to uh, oppress people because of the color of their skin right. because they think that they are dumber or lesser when right. in fact they're not. The smartest guy in the entire film is a black guy and that's the whole point of the film. Exactly. The, yeah. I, Robert Downey Jr. and Joe Rogan, not to bring up Joe Rogan again, but Robert Downey Jr. Let's was on... tally going. Can we get the, ta- <laughs> the Joe Rogan count up one more time, yes. please? Thank you. God. The uh, Robert Downey Jr. was on Joe Rogan's podcast a right. few years ago right. and he said, Joe Rogan said, I don't think you could do Tropic Thunder in this day and age. And I'm like, it was like eight years ago or something. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, It was yeah. pretty recent. And to be honest, yes, you can, because it is not a white man playing a black man. It's a white man playing a white man who's playing, playing a, a black, black man. man. Yeah. He's and, the dude playing a dude disguised as another dude. And he's, and they're sending up the idea of like, they're not making that guy seem genuine. They're making that guy right. seem like an idiot for he's, doing yes, that. All the people in the movie, except for Jay Baruchel's character are right. all idiots that you're supposed to go. Wow. That's a bad person. Right. Right, right. That's the whole point of that film. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in that same way, Blazing Saddles is very similar. Young Frankenstein, I think, is fairly subdued in that regard. I don't think it's a I think it is probably the safest movie that Mel Brooks has ever made. Probably. I think because of the influence of Gene Wilder. And like yeah. I said, he has a little smoother, a little more refined air about him. He kind of smooths that stuff out. To well, give Gene it- Wilder in his older age, he went on. I think it was Conan O'Brien's show at the time, whichever one of his six shows that he was doing. Yeah. at the time. I think he did all six at the same time. That's right. But he, uh, he, I think whoever the host was asked Gene Wilder, why don't you do films anymore? Right. And he said, they're just so like dirty and raunchy and I, I don't want to do that. Right. And I think that that is part of 
like Gene Wilder's character as a person. Right. And I think also, though, it's uh, there's such a yin and a yang between Gene Wilder and Mel Brooks. A hundred percent agreed. Yeah. 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 And I think that's what makes this work is that there is such a yin and a yang between them where you can feel the Mel Brooks. You can, you know, they've they've talked a lot about the movie making process for this. And I've read some things about their process of doing it. Like for instance, the, the putting on the Ritz bit, which is probably the most classic bit, which I'll also confess since we're talking about movies that we should have seen by now and haven't, I of course know that bit and have seen that bit. I thought that bit was the climax of the movie for my entire life. Oh yeah. I really thought it was because everyone talks about it like it's the end. Yeah. Like it's the climax. And they're like, I think it was just the funniest moment at the time. Maybe that's what I was getting from it. Cause everyone was like, Oh, that bit's the best bit in the entire movie, (laughs) which I actually don't, think it is i yeah. think it's great but i th- yeah, I, yeah. I think the dead armpit is actually oh better. my god i was just gonna say i forgot about that bit i watched it and i was like christ the, he's the so putting on the ritz thing is great but i'm like that dead armpit is a bit of balletic poetry do you remember the, the name of the actor who plays frankenstein's monster peter boyle peter boyle so i don't think he is as good of a comedic actor as gene wilder which is not it's a very high bar it's yeah but i think when you let gene wilder just sort of go and do his thing right He's so even from the beginning when he I had to rewind it like three times when he's teaching the class and he stabs himself in the leg. There is a this, then this, then this comedy system that he follows where he stabs himself in the leg. He looks down. He opens his hand to see the blade and then at the same time covers the blade and looks back up. And then after a single, like, half a beat, crosses his leg so you can't see that he stabbed himself. Yes. And in that, it's so systematic. Right. And I think when it's just him doing the bit, yeah, he is so talented. Yes. Effortlessly talented when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, even the... Um you know, I'm a surgeon. I can fix that hump. What hump? The <laughs> yeah. pause that he takes, the look off camera, and the and like you see the thought of what he could say coming through, and then he doesn't. Or even right after that, when he says, Walk this way, this way, this way, and they start to, he starts to hobble down the stairs. He gets about two steps, stops, looks up at the camera in disbelief, right. and then walks normally. He gives it up. Right, exactly. But to go back to the putting on the Ritz thing, that it, it, I was saying about the the kind of the yin and the yang of them. The story that I love is that Gene Wilder was the one who came up with that bit, and he told Mel Brooks about that bit, and Mel Brooks went, "That's not funny," and said no. And Gene Wilder was like, uh, you know, later on was like, "I really think we should put this in the script." And Mel Brooks was like, "No, nah, it's not funny. It's not. I don't think it's good." And they were writing the script and they were just about done. They couldn't figure out what to put in that section of the script. And he's like, I'm telling you, it's got to be the putting on the Ritz. And Mel Brooks was like, OK, let's put, do putting on the Ritz. So they write it in. And then later on, Gene Wilder was like, why did you finally agree? And he goes, I knew if you kept bringing it up, then it was funny. Like if you had just said it once and I said no. And then you left it go. It wasn't it wasn't a bit that would have worked. Yeah, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. If it's kind of funny, but you're willing to let it go, it's not good enough. Yes. But if you you were so he's like, I didn't think it was going to work. But if you were so impassioned about it that you kept bringing it up, then I trusted that it was funny. 
and then and then and then we'll do it. And that's what it is. And it's the best. It again for a lot of people, it's the best bit in the movie. It's probably the most famous bit in the movie. Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, I mean, there's there's a bunch of great stories about the making of the movie. I also want to take a moment before and then we can because we got like two more reading assignments to do. We can start to wrap up. But can we just sing an ode to I don't think this is a lost type of performer, but I don't think there's enough of them around and we should promote this more to the absolutely beautiful ingenues who are also drop dead funny because <laughs> yeah. there are somehow Two of them in the movie between yeah. Madeline Kahn and Terry Gar, yeah, who are astounding. You want to hear something, a crazy piece of trivia about that that makes it even more amazing? Go for it. Terry Gar was originally cast to play the wife, and uh, Madeline Kahn decided at the last minute she didn't like the the German assistant, and she would rather play the wife. And so Mel Brooks was like, uh, hey, Terry, you know, tomorrow she calls her up and he's like, would you mind? Sorry, reading for this other one. If you can just come in tomorrow, you can work on it. It's just she has to have a German accent. So if you could work on that tonight and then bring it in tomorrow into my office at some point and we could read through some scenes, that'd be great. And she said, um, Why, yes, I would love to, but I do not think I need to come in tomorrow. Why, I could just give you the accent right here. And he was like, all right, never mind your cast. Because she was like, she just had an accent that she could do. That's amazing. Yeah, she's a star. I mean, listen, I love Terry Gar, and I, you know, she's great in Close Encounters. She's she's one of those very versatile actors that, for some reason, like, no one talks about anymore. Well, she also had, I think, an aneurysm, uh, like, 12. No, 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 I don't mean, like, (laughs) doesn't talk about, like, in the right, but, like, she in this especially is just funny. hysterical in a role that could have been thrown away. Right. Like it could have just been just some gorgeous person who doesn't care and is just saying the lines. She's genuinely funny. Yes. She could have been the constant punchline. Yes. You know what I mean? Like she could have just been, I forget what her name is, but Monty Python always had like, a. there was like one woman who was like the beautiful woman and she could have been that and for the whole movie, just, just Gene Wilder's foil. And instead She has a whole other thing of her own, and it's fantastic. There's a great moment when he says, elevate me, and she goes, right here? And he goes, yes, raise the platform. And she genuinely looks embarrassed and, like, covers her eyes and walks away. Yeah. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even just the way when he's like, I'm going to mess up this specific line, but he's like, Check out those knockers. Oh, what knockers? Oh, thank you, doctor. Oh, thank you, doctor. I just, (laughs) again, those like little things. You give her like, thank you, doctor is a three word line. And one that I said all the time in middle school, I would just yell, put the candle back is one of my favorites. Yes. Where he's yelling it over and over again and then she gets stuck. Yes. And it's (laughs) that one. I mean, listen, Wilder is great in this, but he is in every scene. And has the majority of the lines. He has room to run in this. Thank you, doctor, is three words. Yeah. And it brings the house down. Right. And and this is not me trying to trivialize her. This is me, again, saying, like, this is something we don't I don't think we see on screen enough today. She is drop dead gorgeous and she is absolutely beautiful and sexy and like at the same time balances that absolute beauty with being able to bring down the house with three words. And Madeline Kahn is the same way. I mean, she, her character is completely different. It's a different type of beauty and a different type of sexiness to her. But at the same time, in that sexiness, 
part of what makes her so sexy is how damn funny she is. I mean, that bit on the train platform of the hair, the nails, it, I mean, oh, yeah. it's, the lipstick. it's written like a Swiss watch. You know what I mean? It's written with surgical precision. Well, it's funny because a lot of that was improvised as well. Was it really? Yeah. The idea was there. The structure was there. But for example, I think this is a different scene technically, but it's the same bit when he goes to kiss her and she says no tongues. That line was improvised. OK. Yeah. <laughs> but it's that idea of like. I mean, if that's improvised, then she's even better than I thought, because, again, that kind of surgical precision of just like with the scalpel and the beat and it's got to be this, then this, then this, then this. Well, it's interesting, too. You bring up a good point, which is something I used to say all the time, which is that um, people used to be considered attractive because of how talented they were. And now they're considered talented because of how attractive they are. Yeah. Yeah. And I watch these movies. I'm, I'm like, oh, man, I'm. Very attracted to both of these women. Why? Because they're extremely talented. And Gene Wilder. And Gene Wilder. Oh, my God. (laughs) And Marty Feldman, is that his name? Yes. My God. Yes. Weirdest looking man in Hollywood. That's true. And he said, thank God that I look like this, because otherwise I would have no career. Very funny, too, though. Oh, incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah. Oh, we got to talk about Gene Hackman, too. What the fuck is that? <laughs> he went to Mel Brooks, evidently, and said, hey, you know, I think I'd like to try comedy. And uh, Mel Brooks was like, OK, I'll try to find a role for you. And he was like, hey, I'm doing this young Frankenstein thing. Do you want a role in that? And he was like, yeah, sure, whatever. And so they just put him in. He improvised his last line in that scene. I'm going to make espresso. It cuts really quickly because everyone in the studio started laughing right after. Oh, really? Yeah. That line is really funny. And it's good that he improvised that because actually... That scene itself, I love that he's like, I want to try comedy because I watch that scene and I'm like, I might tell you not to do it because it's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. But especially when you're around all that, like everyone around you is so good. Yes, I understand. Yeah. You know, like you're coming off of Wilder and Feldman and and all these other people. And then you're going to Gene Hackman breaking mugs. (laughs) Right. And I was like, this is not. not I just the other thing is. I'm just distracted by it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I watched yeah. that scene and I was like, I'm not even watching this. I'm just like, I'm not even in the room right now. Gene and Hackman. also you can take that entire scene out of the film and it, and it doesn't change. make any difference. Yeah, yeah. 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 And then it would have been an hour 10. Yes. Like you said, you would have been right. That's right. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, I could talk about this all day, but I, we do have two yeah, other yeah, things yeah. to talk about. And I mean, really it's just going to be a lot more of like, this is amazing because it's young Frankenstein. Yeah. I feel better as a person being able to go out into the world and say, I've seen Young Frankenstein now. Good. Okay. I feel better for you. Thank you. So let's move on to Inglorious Bastards. Speaking of comedies. Yes. Let's move on. To the yuck fest that to is. My f- yes. Well, we, you know, with, uh, don't know what I meant to write here. I was a little drunk while I watched this. <laughs> That's the way it's meant to with, be. With uh, probably greats. With comedy greats like Mike Myers and The Office's BJ Novak, you might expect Inglorious Bastards to be a rip-roaring comedy. But have I got news for you? <laughs> the very first note I have is I can't take BJ Novak seriously. And you shouldn't. It's very hard for me after The Office. Yeah. He evidently took a like they I don't even remember what they did. But on The Office, they made him go away for his character so that he could film this. Yes. And then he came back and he was a jerk. Yeah. What else? I had a hard time following everything. Oh, yeah. I put I had a hard time following everything. Had I been drinking? Yes. But did the movie have my undivided attention? 
No. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. How much Tarantino have you watched? About a gallon. Okay, cool. (laughs) I don't know. Most of it. What what other Tarantino movies have you seen? Let's. Oh, my God. Pick that off. Obviously, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Kill Bill 1 and 2, Django Unchained. Okay. What else has he done? Jackie Brown? I don't think I've seen that. That's fine. No one else has seen that one, too. Yeah. Most of his movies. Okay. I'm trying to... There's a big one in between there that I'm not I haven't think. seen uh, his super recent one that made a book that everyone Once really Upon liked. a Time yeah, in Hollywood. Yeah, I haven't seen that one I yet. have. I bought it and still have not watched it yet. And I was going to say, the, uh, he's very hit or miss for me. Sure. I haven't named a movie that I didn't... There's a movie that he made that I was like, no, oh, I don't really like the Kill Bill movies. Okay. What about Hateful Eight? Did you see Hate? Oh, Hateful yeah, Eight? yeah, yeah. I love the Hateful Eight. Okay. But yeah, they're not... Reservoir Dogs, I think, is one of the best films ever made. Pulp Fiction is very good as well. Django, I loved. Hateful Eight is incredible. Okay. I don't really dig Kill Bill. It's a little too heightened for me. Yeah. It's a little too not grounded. Okay. Have you ever seen... He didn't direct this one, but he wrote it. Have you ever seen True Romance? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ever watched it all the way through, but it's uh, it's if it's a Gary Oldman movie, there's a good chance I've seen it. That's true. All <laughs> right. So speaking of heightened... Because you said you didn't, you weren't really that into Kill Bill because of how heightened it is. This is a little more heightened. So, how are you feeling about this overall? I disagree. I don't think there's anything in this that doesn't work in physics. Okay, you know that was my oh, thing with I Kill Bill. Was saying. like yes, that people have like ten times as much blood than they actually have. And, okay, okay. You okay. know uh, what's it? Uma Thurman is like doing triple flips over trees and yeah, yeah, yeah. You I know. thought you meant just kind of performances and no and i don't even really think the performances in this are very heightened like they don't they are not outrageous characters really in my opinion brad pitt is a little bit of a weird guy yeah but i I, look i was raised in the south i've met people who look and sound just like him so uh (laughs) you know that wasn't and and it was nice to finally hear um i had friends who quoted uh bongiorno (laughs) and uh I want my Nazi scalps or whatever. So I finally got to like actually hear those lines said by the man himself. And now you can die happy. I think a lot of this film is very silly. But I think some of it's meant to be. I know. And I don't think that makes it better for me. In the same way that like Kill Bill, I'm like, yeah, I get it. It's supposed to be like that. But it doesn't I don't like it, you know. But part of the silliness comes from how there is stuff that sort of just it's very cool. But a lot of it doesn't work. Like, um, like how they killed Hitler. That's right. Yeah. That's a documentary, right? Yeah. Shohana, who's the like young Jewish woman in the beginning who, uh, mm-hmm. uh, Franz Ferdinand lets escape or whatever his name is. <laughs> sure. Um, let's call him that. So she, when she sees Daniel Brühl's character, Frederick, mm-hmm. and she realizes who he is, she like freaks out and is like, Right after she's like, wait, you killed 300 Jewish soldiers from a tower? And she's like, don't ever talk to me again. And she storms off. Right. Why in the world would he pursue her? If he she clearly is either Jewish or a Jewish sympathizer. And he just is totally oblivious to that. And is just like, ah, she's just she's just she just hates me for a different reason, I guess, even though that's the last thing we talked about before she stormed out. Right, 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 right. Which I don't I don't really get. Like, it's very evident to me who this character is, and it's not to anyone else, you know? Okay, yeah. If he doesn't give a shit about the Nazis, why does Waltz kill the actress at the end? Like, they could all just go back to the hideout together, and then he doesn't risk someone finding the dead body of a presumably patriotic German in the administrative office of the theater that all the prominent Nazis are in. 
I don't like yeah. at the very end. They're like, hey, uh, they, like he takes Brad Pitt back to some hideout and he's like, right. let me go. Let me let me just live in America and we will kill all these Nazis and I don't give a shit about them. Oh, yeah. But yeah. like right before that, he murders the spy they have. Who's the like actress? Right, and then leaves her in her body in like the office of the theater. There, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff that just like yeah. character wise doesn't. There's I text. I think I texted you or maybe I told you the last thirty minutes of the movie had me going like, wait, what? How did? Why is? When did they? There was a lot of that, and I and okay. I I went back and rewatched some of it so I could write it all down. That's part of it. But did you go back and watch it again sober? Yes. <laughs> okay, <laughs> uh, right. that's my secret cap. I'm never sober. Oh. oh, here we go. I think the most frustrating thing about this film mm-hmm. is that the entire arc of the main characters doesn't matter. If Brad Pitt didn't assemble this team of Nazi killers, mm-hmm. the movie would have ended the exact same way with the cinema owner burning all of the German heads of state alive in the theater. Yes. But would Hitler have died? Yes. He was already there. <laughs> Sure, but touche. Yeah, I feel like it's there. He's trying to do a movie about a fictional German IRA, mm-hmm. but they're but also they're terrible at it. Like the characters are really bad at it. Right. Four spies walk in through the front door together. Three of them do not speak the language of the country, and they think they're just going to walk in and blow up Hitler. But they do. <laughs> sort of. Another person burns down the theater. Dead is dead, man. All right. Mission accomplished. I guess. I would rather have. Do you know who the IRA are? The Irish Republican Army? Yes. I would. I mean, I don't know them personally like you do, but I, <laughs> I know them. Yes. I know of them. I would have loved to see this movie as an IRA film set in Ireland. I think it would have been a much more interesting film. I don't know who you kill, but like. But the IRA knows who you kill, so don't worry about it. That's right. The work that Tarantino has done with these characters is there. It's just the story that's kind of broken. Okay. So, like, if you get a better story and make it about these these other people, I think it would work better. Yeah. 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 Especially since they really exist slash existed. Now you hear that, Tarantino? Take yeah, your ass and you. shove it up your ass. Everyone says Christoph Waltz is terrifying in this, but he's just kind of whiny and he basically goes free in the end, which is kind of annoying. You didn't like Christoph Waltz in this? Uh, he's fine. I think with the text that he is given, he's very good. That's sort of what I mean. It's like all the actors are pretty spot on for this. Mm-hmm. But I a lot of the dialogue just not with what they're working with. Right. Yeah, yeah. Which is weird. I feel blasphemous saying that about Tarantino, but a lot of what they're saying. And you should. I do. Listen, I blew young Frankenstein for half an hour, <laughs> even though I could think it's a piece of dog shit. But no, wait, I didn't mean to edit that out. I don't want to get tweets. <laughs> but I do think that like a lot of the stuff, like his character arc doesn't make any sense. That, like, he is just straight up murdering people. In the very beginning, he has a monologue right. to a... a, a, a the guy a, in the hut or whatever right, it is. about yeah. how, like, when you see a rat, you know, you kick the rat out. You know, right. you wouldn't feed a rat. How's a rat hide a rat? Right. So what's the difference? Even though the rat has never done anything to you, you just feel that way towards them. And I'm the same way about the Jews. Was that all bullshit? Like, there's... I I don't know. It's very strange to me that all of a sudden this guy flips on a dime and then he's like, no, no, I'm just going to go wherever I can. I think he's just self-preserving. I think that he makes himself seem like this guy who makes himself seem more confident and more in control of a situation 
than he is. And at the end, what you reveal is like, he's a giant pansy. He's, he is fallible like all of us. He seems like this kind of not unstoppable killing machine, but this almost unfeeling killing machine. He is precise and will mow you down and unrelenting because... But if that's the case, then he could have just killed Brad Pitt's character and he could have killed the two guys in the theater. Yeah, I And he could I just agree. keep killing people. Instead, he's like, no, I want to go live on a beach, which, like, he could have done before Hitler came into power. Like, he could no, have just yes. not been a Nazi. Yes, but I think there is... I mean, I think he he enjoys what he does and that's what makes him. But if he does, then he should just keep doing it. Right. You know, like he has the option at the end to just continue doing what he's doing. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sure there's a lot of nuance to this character that we don't see. Blah, 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 blah. But like (laughs) bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Yeah, But like if you don't show it to me, then I'm just going to this guy very clearly is on a very specific path. Right. For this entire film. Right. And you see the way he interacts with people. That he will never see again. Right. And it is a way that tells you that he is this type of person. Right. And everything you see about this guy implies that he is this type of person. Right. And then at the very end, he's like, JK, I'm actually this other guy. But I think that's the thing is that he is implying he makes it seem like he is this type of person. And then at the moment when the the chips are down and, and that, uh, you know, he is at his lowest, then he's revealed to be. A much weaker type of person. But he's not. That's what I'm telling you. He's not at his lowest. When he's in the woods. When they got him in the woods and they're going to like. Oh, no, no. Even before that. I'm talking about when he he's he has them in the headquarters. Right. He has all of the remaining inglorious bastards. Right. Two of them are handcuffed. Two of them are trapped in a theater. Right, 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 right. And he can just be like, boom, boom. Kill those two. Right. Like, the, he's not at his lowest point. No, no, I'm saying later. I, I think we're talking about two different I points. I know, no, I'm talking about something else, though. I'm talking oh, about, like... we're talking about two different things. Then. Sure. Okay. I, what I'm talking about is when he says, I'm turning myself in, basically, as long as you can guarantee that I'll be free. Oh, I... Because he's like, I don't want to kill Jews. I want to go live on an island. Okay. And I'm like, really? Because the last hour and a half, you've been killing a lot of Jews. This is going to get... I mean, we're not monetized. But I was gonna say this is this is gonna get flagged for something. Kids are saying I'm <laughs> killing a lot of Jews. Yeah, <laughs> twice now we've said it. I know we're gonna get Roganed. <laughs> so I think. Well, I think that at that point, hold on. I had a thought, and it like just went. Right yeah, I bet. I bet you had a thought that explained this entire thing. It did. I swear to God, yeah, it bet. actually did. Shut up. There it is. That's what it was. Shut up and <laughs> kiss my ass. No, I think that maybe he can see the writing on the wall. And he is also self. He is smart enough to be self-preserving to go. I was riding high for a while, but this is not going to go our way. And I want out. Not just like you're right. He could kill the Inglorious Bastards. He could stop the fo- the the plot to kill Hitler and the burn down the theater and everything. But I think maybe he's seeing like ten steps down the line. I can see now that this isn't going to work. That that we are going to be defeated. Then they need to show us that. Okay, that's fair. Because I don't see that. I just see a guy who loves doing what he's doing, who's really good at what he's doing, and then he's like, "No, I don't want to do it anymore. I want to take my ball and go home." And I'm like, "Why?" Mm-hmm. That's fair. I can make. I can see that. I can see Especially that. since, like, the only thing we see that would lead him to believe that the writing is on the wall, as you said, is because the inglorious bastards are mowing down Nazis. Right. But he can just kill them right now. Yes. They're right there. Yeah, that's fair. Half of them are already dead by that point. Yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah, that's a fair point. 
And uh, the last thing I have to say is, is the ending cathartic? Fuck yes. Yes, it is. But uh, I don't know if that makes the movie good. It's it's fun. Yeah. It's exciting. Yeah. It's cathartic. Like I said, it feels great right. to watch. But there are some, I think, skeletal problems. Sure. I think for the most part, this is one of those movies that's more closer to like a Kill Bill than it is a Pulp Fiction where it's supposed right. to be more fun than it is. Yes. Like, uh, I also should say before I forget, I fully acknowledge that there's a very real possibility that because I have heard so many great things about this film, I'm a little more particular about it. Right. Well, that's the thing is that with these films and, and why we kind of talked about the ones that we have not seen la- two weeks ago, like it's interesting because it went two different ways for each one of these. Like, obviously I've heard for my entire life, how young Frankenstein It's one of the funniest films of all time. And so I went in, I tried to go in as relaxed as possible, but there's a part of you that goes, all right, yeah. show me something. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was genuinely surprised that I laughed out loud at all. You know, yeah. there were parts that I'm sure if I had known nothing about this movie, if someone had just been like, I had never heard of it and someone just put it on, I would have been on the floor. Yeah. But that was it broke through a big wall. You know what I mean? This yours. It just doesn't break through that wall. I think is it's the other thing. I think if you had seen it initially, you might have come out and been like, yeah, it's fucking great. But I understand what you're saying. Like now you're also looking for like, what makes this so great? And especially, I mean, uh, even just the fact that we're talking about it on a podcast, right. like that changes the way that yes, I look at it. Yes, you're looking film. at it with more, instead of letting it wash over you. Should we go on to the reading assignment? Let's go on to the reading assignment. And Europe again. Here we go. Europe again. He's not in Europe. Who's not in Europe? Who is the <laughs> he is in this bit? Okay. All right. I was like, are we still on Inglourious Bastards? Chris Batman Year One is a comic book run of Batman that was in the midst of being published while I was being born. One of four chapters was released every month between February and May of 1987. I was born in March. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. Isn't that neat? That's, that yeah. is neat. Batman Year One is written by Frank Miller and illustrated by David Mazzuchelli. Nailed it. This one way it. you might First be able to pronounce that. Gate. Killed it. In the year 2000... Warner Brothers hired Darren Aronofsky to write and direct a Batman Year One film. He was to work closely with Frank Miller, and the two butted heads pretty hard, but that wasn't what ended up tanking the project. Miller said, quote, It was the first time I worked on a Batman project with somebody whose vision of Batman was darker than mine. My Batman was too nice for him. We would argue about it. And I'd say, Batman wouldn't do that. He wouldn't torture anybody, and so on. We hashed out a screenplay, and we were wonderfully compensated. But then Warner Brothers read it and said, we don't want to make this movie. The executive wanted to do a Batman he could take his kids to. Fun fact about this comic as well, before I get into what I thought of it. Bruce Wayne... The character, the physical character, the artist, modeled him after Gregory Peck, which really comes through. I could definitely see that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely see that. So, year one highlights... So, first of all, it's in case anyone doesn't know about this is another one of those that's like people are going to listen to it and be like, yeah, I know. I know what it's about. It's but, year one. Yeah. Yeah. But it is about... Batman's transition from Bruce Wayne into the Batman and trying to sort of get his legs under him to try and become the superhero that Gotham needs. This was essentially to give this sort of background to it and to help talk about what the actual plot is. This was around the um, crisis era, the crisis on infinite. It was right after it was it was right after because 
what you got right after was it was the first time they did these giant crises. And so they had now made this multiverse into a universe. And they were like, well, now we got to reboot the universe, basically. And so they needed updated origin stories, right? There is another, there's a six part miniseries called man of steel, which is kind of the Superman year one, right? Maybe down the line, I might end up giving to you. That's also a good one. Is it as good as the movie? (laughs) Nothing is as good as that movie. Okay. It's the inglorious bastards of superhero <laughs> movies. But this one, but year one is that. So it is yeah. the origin story that we know of Bruce Wayne so well, but also layered in with kind of a little more depth and a little more detail to it to give it a, kind of a modern retelling. I like that they don't. Uh, it's interesting you say that it's a it's an origin story because it isn't. Like, you barely see the stuff about his parents, which is nice. They just touch and go, and then they're like, "Right, here's him, which is it, because I think later they, they redo it, and they name it Year Zero, right, or something like that. There's another, there is another, well, the, the, Scott Snyder has a Year right. Zero, but that's a whole different Right, that's thing. what I mean. They, they sort of redo his origin, and that's yeah, like a different of, thing. Yes. For the new 52. Yeah, that's a whole Which other. is interesting to me because this does not feel like year zero. This feels like year one. Right. Where like, almost like how you say when a kid is one year old, he has had a year to make it to this point. Right. In the same way, it feels to me that year one is like a year has gone by. I'm not since his parents died, but like since he has started getting this idea, what do I do? Maybe he's looking at costumes and weaponry. And now he's like, I'm going to try to actually go out and do yeah, this. He's returned to Gotham. And this is that year. Yes. He has a bit of an idea already. He just doesn't know how to follow through. Right. He has seen how baseball is played. He just has to figure out how to swing the bat. No pun intended. No, I like that. That's pretty good. (laughs) Even with the pun. You can intend the pun. Go ahead. (laughs) So did you like this? Let me start with that. So I'm going to get into a little bit <laughs> nope, of that. That's the best. That's the best <laughs> review I've ever heard of for any reading assignment you've ever given. Hang on, though, because yes, it's not even okay. with a question mark. Okay. I do. I don't really know why. So uh, one thing I want to say that's very important to me about this, and we talked a little bit about yin and yang earlier, and I think that's why it was in my head already is because I wrote it down here. Year one highlights the yin and yang between Batman and Gordon, where Gordon is a light with an instrumental piece of darkness, while Batman is dark with an instrumental piece of light. Oh, I like that which a I, lot. I find very That's interesting. Very true. It's a very moving story. Mm-hmm. I actually teared up while reading it. I like it a lot, but it's really just a collection of cool stuff happening without a real plot. No, I agree as well. Like I, I reread this to get ready to to talk about it, and it's been a couple of years since I had read this, and I forgot. That's kind of the case. There really yep. is no real. Plot. There's no antagonist, really. No, no, no. Or a super objective. I was going to say there's more of an antagonist for Gordon than there is yes. for for Bruce. But Wayne even then, Batman. the antagonist for Gordon is like for Gordon, not Gordon, Gordon Ramsey yeah. is uh, is like is it, it's interesting because Batman and Gordon actually share the same antagonist. The antagonist is Gotham. A hundred. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I actually. Now that you say that out loud, I see what the, I see what you're saying. It does have like a pretty solid emotional arc, yes, which is it does. Very, like you. There's a climax to this, even yes. though there's not really a plot. Right. Which is cool. But in my opinion, it's only half the battle when you're writing a story. So I like it. I think everyone should read it, especially if you're somehow a Batman fan and miss this. Right. It's a great read. It's yeah. quick. The art is great. Frank Miller knows what he's doing. 
It's a lot. Um, he wrote uh, Old Man Batman, right? Whatever that is. But, uh, yes, the the Dark Batman, Knight Returns. Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, they should retitle that Old Man Batman from now. <laughs> I don't know when. Do you know when Dark Knight Returns came out? Eighty six. So it was a year beforehand. It feels like an improvement, right? But like, if you were asking me to describe both of those books to you, mm-hmm. Dark Knight Rises Returns, Dark Knight Returns. Don't worry, <laughs> but Old Man Batman would sound way more interesting and way more fun. Sure. But upon actually reading the two of them, I think Year One is better. Yeah, I could see that. It definitely does have a have a better flow. It's so much quicker. I think Frank Miller is one of those writers where. He is supremely talented and extremely intelligent and knows how to craft a really good story. But he does at times need to be put into a slight box because I think Dark Knight Returns. I think that is him able to kind of do whatever he wants because it is set in the far future. It's not part of the continuity. This uh, year one wasn't. It wasn't a miniseries. It was a four issue arc in the middle of Batman where they just kind of take a peek backwards and then they continue. It was I forget what the, the issue numbers are, but there are actual issue no- numbers for this. And so when he's put into that box, it's like you can do whatever you want, but it does have to fit. You can't do something so crazy that we can't undo it because it has to fit in the actual universe. It has to fit within the continuity. And I think when you give him those confines and then you let him bounce all off of the walls of it, you get something really great. Whereas Dark Knight Returns, which I think is is a brilliant piece I could see where people can get turned off by it because it's just him like able to just go balls to the wall with it yeah, and do whatever he wants to do with it. I don't remember the phrase I used to use, but when we were in grad school, I remember telling one of our professors that I thought that creativity was spawned from a place of unbalance. I think that like when you're off balance, that's where you're like if you're in your comfort zone, if you're just like, I'm going to do whatever I want, then like it's not going to be super creative. But if you are forced to be creative, to get around certain things. Yeah. Well, it forces you because if you're if you have no restraints, you can go with your first idea, which might not always be your best. But there's no reason you're going to go. Humans naturally go the path of least resistance. So if you have no restraints and you have an idea of like Batman should do this and everyone's going like you can do whatever you want, then you're going to go Batman should do this. And you're just going to barrel through. And a lot of times as well, if you do that at the beginning, by the time you get to the end and you've written everything, it's too late to change anything because it's it's part of a, a pillar that holds it up. Right. This uh, George Lucas syndrome that like there are there's footage of him watching the the cut of like the initial edit of The Phantom Menace and him being like, I don't know how to fix this. And he's like, there's so much and you can't take out any of it. Right. Because by the time those three pictures come up. Fox is just like, yeah, do whatever you want, man. Yeah. I mean, we just want you back and we want to make three more of these. You can do whatever. Yeah. Because when you think about the because it's like the Star Wars, I think, was the original script. Right. And when you hear about like what that was supposed to be, it's insanity. It's crazy. Like, yeah, Luke Skywalker was a robot, I think. And C-3PO was a used car salesman, smarmy type. Right. Ghostbusters is the same way. So many movies and, uh, you know, are, are the way that they are, because unlike a comic, you have a budget, you have the confines of the physical world, you know what I mean? Right. There's a, you know, you have to make those changes, but you have to make them so that you can actually make the movie. Whereas this, uh, you know, 
I think they gave, they, again, they give him the confines of like, you could tell Batman's first year, but because it's the first year and it is in continuity, you can't do something crazy. Yeah. You can give depth to characters, but you cannot change the who they are. The DNA is already written. The DNA is already there. You know, Selena Kyle is, I think, the most changed character from what she was before because she wasn't really all that developed before. So she's kind of an empty box that Miller can play with. And I think it's a great kind of origin story for her. Also, since you brought them up, shout out to all the names of all my cats that appear in this book. That's true. I think that's Holly Robinson. Yes. Which is who our latest cat is named after. Oh, is it really? Holly. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. That's uh, that's so you get Holly Robinson. You get the idea of like you know, the reason Selena Kyle is a cat burglar. Yeah. And and you get the very early seeds of their relationship, her and Batman, because she goes to do something. He happens to be there and he kind of gives her a hand. Right. And that's the thing is that I think now that he's in these confines, like you can make something really good because he's not able to just go crazy and veer off to the left. It's definitely worth a read. Yeah, it's very cool. It's very close to what I want a Batman story to be. And it gets all the characters right. Yeah. I think that if there had been a main objective for any of the characters yeah. and like an antagonist, something they were working towards. Right. I think it w- that's my only note that I would give it that it would improve it. My last note is it's a shame they never made any sequels. Right. I think that I'm actually going to disagree with you, but not vehemently. No, that's not interesting content. No, I'm going to disagree with you vehemently and tell you to cram it up your ass. <laughs> I actually, in this one instance, am okay with there not being an antagonist because, one, I agree with you about the idea of, like, Gotham is the antagonist. But because this is a year one story and you're leading up to it, it is that kind of chicken and egg scenario of, like, does Batman make the villains or do the villains make the make Batman? And so, in this first year, him not having this one kind of super villain. The type of the Bruce Wayne and the Batman they put out here. I think he's better suited just watching him go through trials and tribulations and kind of build that character that we know he is going to be. But then make it it doesn't have to be the penguin or the joker. Right. It, it could still be like you a know Falcone there's a, or something like that. Maybe it, yeah. it does it could be a new per, it could just be like a landlord who's trying to take advantage of the people who live in the building or so, you know it, yeah. it it needs or you can do that like Gotham is the villain but like drive it home then. Right. And like make it like Bruce Wayne has to have an internal monologue about how like I am actively working fraction of a percent by fraction of a percent to heal this city and then at the end he has to say like I'm not winning. Like, I I didn't win this because Gotham is still Gotham. Right. Okay. That I agree with you. As far as like a person, a human form for an antagonist uh, in this instance, I like that there isn't one because I don't I don't think it needs it. And I think it kind of makes sense that there isn't one yet. He's not there yet. The city isn't there yet as well. But I agree with you on that. They could drive that home a little more. This it's interesting now rereading it. This is more of a. Gordon story, which I like. I love it. It is. They made an animated film. I don't remember when, but fairly recently. 
And the guy who plays Batman is someone I don't know. And do you know who plays Jim Gordon? Is it Brian Cranston? Brian Cranston. Yeah. And there's a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff where he's like, what drew me to this is that it's not a Batman story. It's a Jim Gordon story. It is. It's very much a Jim Gordon story. And I kind of love that. The reason I gave this to you is because we're going to have the Batman coming up in just a couple of weeks. Ah, uh, yes. Actually, when this comes the out, Man. the next week... It'll be at the end of next week, I think, by the time this episode comes out. The fifth? Fourth. I'm going to need a fifth. Yeah. And that is supposed to be like a year two story, essentially. So I was like, oh, this will be a good setup. Which is interesting, too, because there is a... I I don't know. Maybe I'll try to find it and put it up in the edit. But probably not, because I won't remember. There is a shot of this, of a a cafe or a diner or something, I think, that looks like the shot from the trailer where you see the Riddler in the cafe. I'll I'll re-look it up again. Uh, I'll I'll see if I can find it. That's interesting. Okay, great. But yeah, so I was like, oh, this will be a good setup because we're going to have to go see the Batman. And maybe it'll be nice kind of intro since it's apparently some sort of like almost like a year two story. That makes sense because they do mention um, it looks like there are like Joker henchmen or whatever running around in the trailer. And the very last spoiler alert, but the very last panel of this, I think, is Jim Gordon being like some idiot called the Joker is doing something, something. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. Do you have a reading assignment for me? I do. Oh, oh, no, no, no. I don't know what this is going to be, and I already don't like it, just by your tone of voice. <laughs> I think you should. I, this was actually a happy thing for me. Like, that was me being like, I'm super happy about this. I have been putting off assigning anything of this character to you okay. until the moment was right. Okay. And we are here. The moment is finally right. Okay. Chris, Disney Plus has a TV series coming out in March, and... uh It's a lesser-known Marvel character. Uh It's a character that uh, Disney... uh, It surprises me that Disney wants to do anything with. Uh But uh, I think... And the actor playing this character has said it's going to totally change the game. It's totally different than everything. I think I know what this is going to be, and I'm super excited. I'm going to give you Moon Knight from the Dead by Warren Ellis. Yeah! I'm st- about this. I'm so excited. So his uh, his origins are uh, a little boring. Uh-huh. So I'm not going to get, you know, just like with all of them. Like, I'm not going to give you the thing from the 70s that like, sure. it's like mild mannered Mark Spector, you know, or whatever, whatever. This one is a bit of a dive into the deep end. Okay. But I think it's going to be fine. Okay. You're not going to know a lot of like. Why is this person, why is he that, and then why is this happening? But I want you to try to roll along with it. Okay. And it's so much fun. It's the most fun Moon Knight comic that is out there. Um, But is it as much fun as that fake thing where he tries to find Dracula to get his fucking money? No. (laughs) But it's close, Uh, actually. And also, it's a little bit, not to spoil anything, but it's it's very similar to year one. There isn't really a main through line. It's more like a collection of cool things. All right. All right. I'm excited about this. I'm really excited about this, actually. I love Moon Knight. Okay. I'm very excited for you to finally get into that. Yes. He's a cool character. All right. I'm stoked. That's it, then. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We did a thing. There it is. There was no thing. In front of God and everyone. Yeah. Oh, actually, I'm looking at a monitor. Oh. Hey, Andrew. Yes. Hey, Andrew. Yeah. 
Hey, Andrew, do you like how I make it try to make I for you? I try to make it seem organic like it's a real thing. It has never felt organic. I know. Where can they find us? They can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We're also on iHeartRadio and Pandora. You can also get the podcast episodes a little bit early, maybe like an hour early on SoundCloud.com slash The Media Lunch Break. They go up there every Tuesday at 8 in the morning. That's Eastern Standard Time. You can also find us on Twitter where our handle is at Media Lunch Break. Head over there right now. Because I'll probably be talking about our merch, because hopefully I'll have it fucking figured out by the time this shit goes live. You can also find us on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're at YouTube.com slash The Media Lunch Break. You can also find us on TikTok, where our handle is at Media Lunch Break. People are, people are still mad at us. <laughs> people are so mad. If you're here from TikTok. And you're mad. Um, fuck you. Yeah, get mad, <laughs> motherfuckers. You can also find us on Patreon.com slash The Media Lunch Break if you'd like to chip in a dollar or two a month. Something very small, very minuscule. We don't want large amounts. Just give us like a little bit of a little bit of chump change. Just empty your pockets and give them to us. If that's gum, if that's lint, I'll take it. I'm not picky. But if it's a dollar, all the better. Please give me what's in your pockets. Anyway, you can also send us an email at the media lunch break at gmail.com or you can visit our website which we may be trying to overhaul pretty soon. Mm. And that is www.themedialunchbreak.com. Give us a rating and a reviewing on iTunes, SoundCloud, or YouTube. Give us that thumbs up, subscribe, if you're cool. And if you're not... Ah, fuck it. If you're not cool... Do it anyway. Come on. Join in. Yeah, we'll have you. It'll make you cool. It'll make you cool, unless you don't want to be cool, and then you'll just stay the same. All the cool kids are doing it right now. And also you. All the cool kids, they're going behind the bleachers, they're smoking, and they're leaving a review right on their phone. (laughs) Special thank you to Julie. Thanks, Julie. For being so awesome. Yeah. I hope she puts this on her resume, that like... She gets thanked at the end of every episode of the Media Lunch Break podcast. She should. I would. She should. She should. And she should. Uh, she should put us both down as a reference to. Are you having a stroke? <laughs> Man, you're telling me. Uh, mm. I'm also looking up the Moon Knight comic right now. Great. <laughs> to get it. Yeah. That's how excited I am. Also, we were on Funny Sci-Fi Podcast live stream and uh, it went really well. Yes. Yes, it did. We were very funny. Oh, my gosh. We killed. It's amazing that we did so well that they asked us to just take over the show. Yeah. I was really surprised by that yeah. at the end. Yeah. You know, I, you know, I mean, I listen, let me put it this way. I expected them to do that, but I expected them to maybe like wait for the episode to end or maybe like, you know, follow up a couple days later. But for them to do that right during the show, that was I mean, that was yeah. really I was amazed they signed over custody to us of all of their children. I was really touching, I thought. Yeah. As like a tribute. I left mine at a gas station. I man, mine was in the carry-on luggage on the plane and uh, I got lost somewhere. I don't know where it is now. It's crazy. <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying anymore. Uh, Do you have anything just, you would like to say, Chris? Yes, sorry. I'm in the middle of doing something. Give me My a second. God. It's getting the the reading assignment. Shut We're up. We're so close to the end of this episode. Just do it after. But I don't want to do it after. I want to do it now. You're going to read it now, too? Yes, I am. We're all going <laughs> to stick around for this. Uh, uh, what's the first, What's the thing I yeah. usually say? For, if you were paying attention. No, no, no. What's the first thing I usually say? Oh, yeah, everyone. Welcome to the media lunch break. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Here we go. Don't. I'll do it, and then I will make us do this entire Stuck episode again. Time don't loop. think that I won't. I will groundhog day this shit till the cows come home. I'm not comfortable using that phrase. As always, listen, uh, 
if you're first of all, if you're looking for us for something for us to talk about, what well, this is a weird way to talk about this. You know, we just talked about some movies that we had never seen before. Uh, I gave them a shout out, but we're always looking for something to talk about. If you are a creator, you made a comic, you shot a film, whatever, you want to give it some love, you want to give have us put some eyes on it and give it a shout out onto the internet, send it over. We love doing that. If we, you heard us talk about these movies and you're like, what the fuck are you talking about? Young Frankenstein 4? It's from 1974, you idiot. You should have been talking about this thing. Tell us about it. We want to know about it. If you, if there's a TV show you're watching right now or a comic that you're reading or you just have a question and you're like, yo, debate this for like 30 minutes. Send it over. We want to hear about it. We're always looking for stuff like that. Andrew talked about leaving a review. Absolutely leave a review. You can do it right in app. You leave five stars. As we've said before, you leave five stars. You can say whatever you want in the review. You don't like us. You want to tear us a new asshole. You leave five stars. You just let a rip, man. Oh, let's see. The last time we said leave five stars and what? What did we say last time? Don't know. Can't remember. Thoughts on the Doctor Strange trailer? Maybe it was. Yeah, something like that. Uh, It could have been that. Or fan theories. Or write a script. There was something about writing a script at one point. Anyway, the point is, do you have something else that they can do? Oh, yeah. What do you got? Tell us your movies that you have missed. Yes. Wait, is that what we said last time or two times no, ago? No, no. Two times ago was Lord of the Rings. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So <laughs> because you've still not seen Lord of the admit Rings. Admit to us it's a safe place, the internet. I mean, we all know <laughs> that it's a safe place. Admit to us. Leave five stars and you leave us the movies that you feel guilty. You have you want to confess you have never seen. Leave the review. Think of the review as your confessional. OK, no one else reads those reviews except Andrew and I, no one could possibly see them. So you can leave whatever you want in there and just confess to us all of your movie going and nerddom sins. What have you not seen that you've been lying your way through a conversation through your entire life? Fun fact, if you have not seen a lot of movies and you lie your way through a conversation, turns out you can start a podcast. (laughs) Just don't say Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I did that one. Don't don't say that one. Don't steal my thunder. Bad idea. That's it. That's how easy it was. We just created a thing, Andrew. My God. It wasn't a thing. And now yeah, there is a thing. It. And what a thing there is. That's how easy it is. Now, if you're listening to this, hopefully you're out there creating a thing. If you're not, go out yeah, get there. your shit together. Make something. If get we can get together. our shit together to make a thing. Let me tell you something. We just made a thing and our shit is very much not together. Very, very far apart from itself. Yes. In fact, over the course of recording this, my shit has come undone several times. (laughs) So that's how easy it is to do a thing. Yeah. Okay. Next week... Well, next week's the news. News! And then after that, Tuesday news day. After that, it's going to be the Batman. Let's be honest. I'm not even going to pussyfoot around this. Oh, yeah, probably. Can I still say that word? Is that a word you can still use? No, pussyfoot. Can you say pussyfoot still? I wouldn't. Sounds like something Tarantino would be interested in. Oh, <laughs> nicely done. Because he likes the feet. Yeah, yeah. I got to get my tickets for that shit. Not the feet. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to just going to let you 
do that yourself. I was just gonna. I was like, uh, you know what? He'll keep tugging on this rope. He can hang himself. That's fine. Oh fuck my life! No, I gotta yeah. get tickets for the Batman if we're gonna talk about it. I know. Do I'm... you really think we should? On a comic book movie podcast? Yeah, I know it's kind of more of a, one of the obscure parts of our oeuvre, but, you know. I like that word. Thank you. I should have said genre, but I just wanted to say the word oeuvre. Isn't that the thing that hangs in the back of your throat? No, that's my... I think we just cut it off there. <laughs> just cut it off there. That's it. 